Thank you, choir. We'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of 1 John this morning. The book of 1 John. We will uh, finish chapter 3 today. Been working our way through the book of 1 John and looking at this idea of a sure faith, looking at what we can turn to when we have questions, when we have concerns, when we have doubts. How can we know that we know Jesus, that we have a faith that is good and solid and firm and true? And uh, today we're going to be looking at this theme of love. We'll be looking at God's love and how that love should fill us. And then also at God's unfailing grace and how that grace motivates us and helps us to love those around us as we should. And so we'll be in 1 John chapter 3 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 23 today. 11 through 23, the title of this sermon is Costly Love, Unfailing Grace. Costly Love, Unfailing Grace. And the simple truth is this, as people who know Jesus Christ, we should look like him. And one of the things that Jesus did best, one of the things that was most, most notable about Jesus' life was this truth. He loved people. Jesus was willing to go and touch lepers. He was willing to be with sinners. He was willing to walk among the unclean and the rejected. Jesus lived a life of love. And so if he is our master, if he is, is the one that we're following— then the question remains, how are we doing at living a life of love? To help us think about this idea of love this morning, I want to um, look at some quotes from children as they've reflected on love, as they've thought about love. They, I think, um, have some great insights for us this morning. This is from Chris, age six. He says this, Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. That's love. Terry, age four, says, Love is what makes you smile even when you're tired. I like that. Elaine, age five. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken, even though she wants it for herself. (laughs) Thought that was pretty good. And then this one from Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. I love that. I think that's love, she says. And then Jessica, age eight, she says, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. I think that's very true. You see, even children know love when they see it. And even children, if you paid attention to their definitions, they understand this, friends. They understand that love is costly. It may cost you a french fry, but it costs you something right? To really love sinful, broken people is costly. And so we're going to talk about that today, costly love and unfailing grace. Go ahead and stand in honor of the, re- uh, the reading of God's word this morning. First John chapter 3, I'll be reading verses 11 through 23 today. The word of the Lord says this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now. God, we ask this morning that you would speak. Lord, we ask that our hearts would be still before you today. Lord, that we would hear what it is that you would have to say to us. And God, we ask that you would be honored by everything that happens here this morning. God, we pray that your presence would be real and tangible. Lord, that um, as we listen, God, that your word would penetrate our hearts and that we would live lives uh, that honor you out of love and out of obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so the main idea this morning is that a sure faith mirrors God's costly love and rests in God's unfailing grace. A sure faith mirrors God's costly love and rests in God's unfailing grace. And as we reflect on this this morning, I want us to look uh, at this first idea that a sure faith If I know Jesus, I'm going to mirror God's love in my life. I'm going to reflect it to the world around me. We talked about this even uh, in our strategy series. As we talked about worship, that as I receive God's goodness and glory, I'm going to reflect his goodness and glory. And the same is true when it comes to this idea of love. That as I receive God's love, what should happen is that the cup of my heart begins to be filled. You see, when I'm just living for myself, the cup of my heart is empty because I just have my love. But as God's love begins to fill the cup of my heart and I actually understand how big his love is and how good his love is, my heart begins to overflow. And as that heart overflows, I can't keep it in. I share it with those that God has placed in my life. We must be mirrors of God's love. And in this passage, uh, in verses 11 through 15, there are two kind of important ideas that are present. First of all is this. Uh, we receive a sign and we receive, we receive a command. There's a command that is given, and there's also then a sign that is given, and they're actually one and the same. They're the same thing, and that is this, that we are to love one another. We are commanded. It is the message we have received from Jesus Christ that we should love one another. But then I want us to look. Let's look at, let's see if I can find it very quickly. Uh, Verse 14. Let's look at verse 14. It says this, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so see, it is a sign to us that we actually know Jesus Christ when we are filled with God's love. I want to reflect on this just a little bit longer. Why is it that we have to have a command? Why do we have to be given a command to love people? Why is it that God takes the time to point that out to you and to me? I believe it's because of this. We're actually prone to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. You see, you and I are prone to say, I'm, I'm pretty righteous. I'm pretty good at loving people. I, I'm a very loving, kind, generous person. And so we tend to think of ourselves and we tend to build ourselves up and give ourselves a certain measure of grace when it comes to loving other people that perhaps we don't really deserve. You see, how many of us have thought something like this as we've even read that passage? You see, I'm not as bad as Cain. I didn't kill my brother. I didn't kill my brother Abel. I'm not as bad as Cain, so this this doesn't apply to me. 
And I would say if that's the standard we're looking at, we're looking at the wrong standard, right? Okay, if murder is the standard that we're loving people, that's a pretty low bar. And so we shouldn't allow that to be our bar. What is our bar? The bar is Jesus. The bar is Jesus Christ. And so when I begin to look at him, suddenly I begin to understand perhaps I'm not as loving as I give myself credit for. Perhaps I'm not as filled with his grace and mercy and kindness towards the people around me as I think I am. How many of us have ever thought something like this? I don't need to help that homeless person today. I'm busy. Besides, I treat my own family well. How many of us have ever thought, I don't need to tell the truth in this situation because ultimately it's just going to hurt their feelings, right? And so I don't actually need to tell the truth. I don't need to speak the truth in love. What about, it'll be okay if I don't keep my commitment this time. They know that I really love them. It's okay. I can let it slide. You see, we are without a doubt, I believe, less loving than we often give ourselves credit for. We give more grace to ourselves. We like to think of ourselves as better than we are. Why? The answer is this. I believe it's because we love ourselves. We love us. We love ourselves first. And as we think about that, we need to be careful God is saying to us as he gives us this command, he's saying, press into this, pay attention to this, work at this, allow this to be something that you intentionally think about, allow this to be a way that that you push yourself as you're going through life. It is a command to love one another, but it's also a sign. It's a sign, as I've said, that we know God, because we are not, as I said earlier, inclined to, to love others well. It's not something that we naturally do. We're inclined to love ourselves. Why is it? That Facebook, listen to this, this is incredible to me. I didn't know it was this big. Facebook has 1.34 billion, with a B, users. 1.34 billion users. Why is it that Facebook has so many users? I believe it's because we love ourselves, right? Whose face is it that we're posting on the internet all the time? It's my face, right? We want to have the nice pictures of us. We want to have the great memories of us. And we want to see, as even as we post, a lot of times I think the thing that runs through our heads is something like this. How many likes will I get this time? You see, how many likes am I going to get if I post this cool meme or this funny thing or this picture? We love ourselves, but self-love and self-sufficiency are actually, friends, self-deceit. You see, the reality is we're not made for the world to revolve around us. That's not how God has designed things to work because we ultimately aren't worthy of the world to revolve around us. There's only one who is worthy, and his name is Jesus. And so we see this in our society, this pressure. Even as we look at Facebook, as we look at the news, as we look at social media, there is this clamoring. There's this noise. And as the noise rises... Everyone feels like they've got to be a little bit louder to rise above the noise, right? Everyone is a little more angry. Everyone's a little more loud. Everyone's tweets are a little more sharp. Everything is happening. Why? Because we love ourselves. Because I've got to be noticed. Because my voice has to be heard. You see, as believers, I believe that the way that we use social media should look very different than the world around us. There should be a peace. There should be a gentleness that comes along with that. We are called to show that we have a sign that we know Jesus Christ. In John 13, 34, and 35, we're not going to flip there this morning. I just want to read this to you. Jesus said this, a new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you hear that? 
How is the world going to know that we're followers of Jesus? Is it by our outstanding theology? No. Is it by perfect worship services? No. It's by the way that we love one another. The way that we as Christians love one another is meant, as I said earlier, to be that reflection of God's incredible and infinite love for us. And I just wonder, friends, I wonder, are we that kind of expression of God's love here at the lake? When people think of Riverview Baptist Church, do they think that is an incredible group of people that have a different kind of love for each other? Or do they just think that's just another church, just like all the other ones? You see, friends, we are called to be set apart. We're called to look different. And the question that that I'm concerned with today, it's easy for us to read this and to move on. But I think we need to slow down and reflect on what God is saying to us. Are we, as God's people, known for our love for each other? If love is meant to be the mark of what it means to be a Christian, if love is meant to be the mark that the world is looking at um, in our lives, then I think conversely, Hatred in our hearts is a sign of a serious heart problem. Hatred in our our hearts, anger in our hearts, how often, how easy is it for us as believers to come and gather into a place like this and harbor anger in our hearts, to harbor frustration or bitterness or unforgiveness in our hearts towards perhaps even someone in the room. It's very easy. It happens often, far too often in our churches. But I think we need to pay attention to the emotions that God gives us. You see, if I'm driving down the road... I'm driving down the road and the warning light comes on in my car. The service engine soon light comes on. I have a choice, right? I can choose to pay attention and to heed that warning and to go ahead and do something about it. Or I can keep driving. I can drive maybe three weeks, maybe three months, maybe three years. But at some point, if I don't pay attention to that warning light, what's going to happen? I'm headed for a breakdown. Friends, I believe that the emotions that we experience in our lives are oftentimes warning lights. They're warning lights to us. And so when I have anger in my heart, when I have bitterness in my heart, I need to be careful. I need to pay attention, and I need to heed that warning. Because if I don't, the reality is, friends, it may be three weeks, maybe three months, maybe three years. At some point, I'm headed for a breakdown. We are called to be people of love called to be people that show God's love to the world around us. And so we see that in verses 11 through 15. I want us to see this next idea in verses 16 through 18. And that's this, that real love produces costly action. Real love produces costly action, verses 16 through 18. Let's read this together. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. There's an important statement that I believe that is being made uh, right at the beginning of verse 16. He says, this is how we know love. And how is it? Because Christ died for us. And so, What we have to then think about is this. If we know love only because Christ died for us, then is it possible to know love any other way? Is it possible to know love when we see it? And I would say this. We don't know real love apart from God. 
We don't know true, lasting, unchanging, unfailing, perfect love apart from Jesus Christ. That's a scandalous, perhaps, statement, but I believe it is very true. Because behind that, back of that, is then, can lost people really know love? And I would say, in some ways, no. In some ways, no. Every other form of love that we experience is only a small and incomplete reflection of the ultimate and perfect love of God. You see, there are debates that rage in philosophy circles. And one of those is this. There's the illustration or perhaps the conundrum that's often used. That We've seen this perhaps in war movies. There's a hero. Men are fighting. And uh, a grenade is lobbed into the middle of a room or of a foxhole, right? And as that happens, one man takes it upon himself to be the hero. And he sacrifices himself for his friends. He jumps on the grenade. And we would say, I think rightly, that's a hero, That's a person of incredible love. That's a person of incredible strength. But philosophers look at this situation, and and there are those that are called ethical altruists. And they say this, that man did that because he truly loves other people. He was not thinking of himself in any way, shape, or form in that moment. But then there are ethical egoists, and they look at that same situation, and they say, actually, the reason that that man jumped on that grenade was not so much that he loved the other people in the room. It was that he realized, perhaps even if he lived through the grenade somehow, and his friends died, he would have to walk around with this incredible guilt. He'd have to walk around with incredible shame, knowing he could have done something. He could have rescued his friends, but he chose selfishly not to. And so he was motivated by self to save those people. He was motivated by self to save those people. Regardless, here's the point. I'm not going to solve that conundrum for you today, but I do want to do this. I want us to recognize that no one no matter how great, no matter how kind, loves us perfectly, except for one person. His name is Jesus Christ. You see, no one can love us like Jesus. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I just want us to see this truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter. Hold your finger in 1 John chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read verses 11 through 13 together. The, the first part of this chapter is what really gets a lot of the attention. The first part of this chapter is oftentimes what's read at weddings and at funerals and, and at uh, big moments of life. But I believe that the back half of this section, the back half of this chapter, is just as important and just as beautiful. Look at verses 11 through 13 of 1 Corinthians 13. This is what Paul says after, after reflecting and thinking on perfect love. He says this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying this, friends. He's saying, in this earth... This is the love chapter. He's not done talking about love. He was just talking about it. He finishes. The greatest of these is love. He's still talking about love. What do we see in a mirror dimly in this earth? Love. We see in a mirror dimly the perfect love of God. We see in fallen, broken, sinful people little little rays of light, little reflections of the great love that waits just beyond the great love of God for you and for me. And someday, friends, this is our hope. Someday, this is the beauty of knowing Jesus Christ. Someday, we're going to see that love face to face. 
Someday there will be no more mirror that, re- that reflects it dimly. Someday we will see the unhindered, unfettered glory, goodness, and love of God for you and for me. I can't wait for that day. But what that does tell us, what that does remind us is that no one loves us like Jesus. No one can fill the void of love that we all walk around with in our hearts the way that Jesus can. And so we know real love only by looking at him. I want to read to you from um, a book this morning. It's called The Magnificent Defeat by Presbyterian minister Frederick Buechner. He says this as he reflects on love. He says, love for equals is a human thing. It's the love of a friend for a friend, brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely, and the world smiles. Love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing, though. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the needy. This is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world as they see it. And then he says this, Then there is the love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for his torturer. This, friends, is God's love. This is the love that conquers the world. You see, this is the love that you and I are called to reflect, and it is a costly love. It costs Jesus Christ his life. And so who are we? Who am I to hold that back from the people around me? Who am I to focus on myself, my ways, my plans? God's word tells us, friends, that you and I, each one of us, are born enemies of God. Every one of us are enemies of his authority, power, and glory in our lives. We lived for ourselves. We loved ourselves. We went our own way. And even as we did so, we mocked and opposed and disregarded the grace of God towards us. And yet, Jesus intervenes on our behalf. He comes into a sinful, fallen, broken world, and he walks among sinful people. He he walks among his enemies, and he allows those very enemies. He says this, No one takes my life, but I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down and to take it up again. I love that. You see, those Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross didn't put him there. It's the love of God that put him there for you and for me. And Jesus, even as the nails are being driven through his hands, cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is what he does for you and for me, for those of us that know him. Who are we to do otherwise? We must love people, not only in what we say, because, friends, that is far too easy. Words are far too cheap. We must love people as Jesus loved people with costly action, with costly words. We must do it in costly ways. I'm from the deep south. I grew up in south Mississippi. And um, the south is an interesting place because one of the things that happens is it is very rude to be rude. Imagine that. And so southerners kind of have this way of beating around the bush. They kind of talk around the thing, and, and you're supposed to kind of pick up on it as they talk around the item that they're talking about. And uh, really what happens oftentimes is that there's really southern ways of saying to people, I love you with words only, which is, as we know, really no love at all. But my favorite one is this phrase. Perhaps you've heard it before. Bless your heart. Have you ever heard that phrase? You see, that's a gentle southern way of basically calling someone dumb. You see, uh, here's the example. I was working with so-and-so the other day, and we were out, you know, 
constructing something, building something, and he hit his thumb as hard as he possibly could with a hammer and broke it in half. Bless his heart, right? And so, bless his heart. What does that even mean? I love him to death is another one. Uh, That's another one, another southern saying. If you ever hear the words, I love him to death, be warned, something scandalous is about to follow. It says something like this, I love him to death, but I don't trust him as far as I can throw him, right? See, if we really loved that person, perhaps we would never say it. Perhaps we would never malign them with our words to begin with. And so words, friends, this is what we have to realize. Words are cheap. Words are so easy to say. Here's another one, and I want to say it very carefully. But it's this. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. There are those of us that say that, and we mean that, and we follow through. But there are those of us that say that, and we have very little intention of going and getting on our knees before our Lord and praying for a person in pain, praying for a person who's lost, praying for a person who needs it. We need to be people, friends, of action. And so if you are not going to follow through, just don't say it. Just don't say that you're not going to pray for them. Go ahead and find a way to serve them. Find a way to love them. Find a way to live it out. But don't say things that we don't mean as God's people. We must be people of action and costly action. And so I just want to ask you, when was the last time you loved someone outside of your own family in a way that cost you? When was the last time outside of your close-knit little circle that you loved someone in a costly and extravagant way? This is what God calls us to do. This is who God calls us to be. I think even as we reflect on that, each of us recognizes that there's times when we fail. There's times when we don't display the infinite, perfect, good, unfailing love of God towards us. But that's where this back half of this chapter comes in. Look at verses 19 through 23. You see, even as we fail, you and I can rest in God's unfailing grace. That's what verses 19 through 23 are all about. Let's read this together. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. And so we recognize, friends, if our love for one another is meant to be this sign, there's times where I don't always display the sign. There's times where I fall short. And as we've talked about, does that mean that I'm not saved? No, it doesn't. Because look at verse 20. I want us to just see this again. If you're someone who marks in your Bible or highlights in your Bible, I would encourage you. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 20 is an incredible verse. It's an incredible promise for you today. Look at these verses. Or look at this verse, excuse me. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. There's a beautiful truth there. The truth is this. Jesus knows your heart this morning. Jesus understands exactly where you're at. He knows if you are wrestling with some past sin. He knows if you're trying to fight your way through the feeling of guilt and condemnation that weighs you down. And he says to you, I know it. Even as we are, feel like Paul, perhaps, in Romans chapter 7, we say something like this. The very things that I do not want to do, I do. 
and the very things I want to do, I do not do. O wretched man that I am. God knows your heart. He knows that you're struggling. Friends, he walked this earth fully God, fully man. He wrestled with temptation. He faced it and he defeated it for you and for me. He loves you. He sees you and he understands you just as you are. He knows your heart. It's a wonderful, beautiful promise. But here's perhaps an even more wonderful promise. God's grace is greater than your feelings of condemnation or guilt. God's grace is greater than your heart. And so wherever you are, however you wrestle, whatever you're facing, God's grace is enough for you. It may not always feel that way, but this is the promise that we cling cling to. This is what it means to live by faith and not by sight. I choose to trust God's unfailing grace to me even as I don't feel like following, even as I don't feel like it's going to be enough. I choose to trust. This is what we have. I just want to say this to you, friends. God's grace to you overcame the grave through Jesus Christ, and God's grace to you can overcome your sin through Jesus Christ. If Jesus can overcome the grave, you can sure bet he can overcome your sin. He has done it, and he will do it. It is sealed. It is finished. It is promised. For those of us that know Jesus Christ, that battle is over, and so we can rejoice. We can be filled with with hope and love. We can be filled with the very things that we're called to be filled with, not because of us, but as we see in these verses, it says this, that we have been given his spirit. You see, God has given us his spirit. And what does the spirit do for us? What does God's Holy Spirit do in us? It slowly, he slowly, excuse me, over time, conforms us into the image of Jesus. He works in us to help us believe when we don't feel like believing. He works in us to intercede on our behalf, even as we don't know how to pray. He works for us to help us obey, even when it's not easy. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. And so I just want to ask you this morning, are you doing what pleases him today? Are you keeping his commands in the way that you live? Listen to verse 22 and 23, just the back half of 22. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Here's the reality. The reality this morning is that for those of us who know Jesus Christ, for those of us who have a real thriving relationship with him, it can never be undone. And for those of us that know Jesus Christ, then, we are members of a spiritual family. Perhaps, in in many ways, friends, a, a spiritual family that's even more real than our physical families. Why? Because our physical families will be done away with As we go and enter into heaven, they will be surpassed by a greater family, an enduring family, a family that does not fail, a family that will not go away, God's family. What does that mean? What does that mean for you and me? It means this. We're going to be in heaven together for the rest of eternity. And so who are we to harbor feelings of unforgiveness, feelings of hatred, feelings of anger, or perhaps just feelings of indifference towards a member of God's family. Who are we to do that? Because we're going to be in heaven together forever. We might as well just go ahead and get over it, right? You see, we need to lay these things down and even love perhaps the people in this room in a costly way. Sinful people will sin against us. And guess what? 
Even saved Christians are still sinners. None of us is perfect, but we know the one who is. I want to just share this with you. One of my favorite uh, movies is, is Wyatt Earp. Hope you've seen that movie. If you haven't, it's fantastic. You should. Uh, but there's a quote in the movie Wyatt Earp. Uh, Wyatt's father, Nicholas Earp, is kind of early on in the movie. He says this quote, and it becomes really a theme throughout the entire rest of the movie. You see, his family is gathered around the dinner table, and they're still all very young. And he says this. He says, remember this, all of you. Nothing counts so much as blood. The rest are just strangers. Remember this, all of you. Nothing counts so much as blood. You see, around another dinner table, our Savior stood, and he said this, This is my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus spilled his perfect, sinless, precious blood for you. Jesus died for you and for me. And here's what that means. That means this. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died for the believer that's sitting next to you in the seat today. Whether they're a friend or a family member or a complete and total stranger. But the call is still the same. Jesus' blood says they're worthy of your love. Jesus' blood says that they're worthy of you loving them in a costly, painful, bearing with one another kind of way. And so I just want to ask you this morning, will you do that? Love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that you are so good, Lord, that you are so kind to us, that you would love us, broken sinners, enemies of you, people who have sinned against you, who have rebelled and run from your goodness. God, thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he died so that we could be forgiven and he rose again so that we could be free. Lord, I pray if there's any person in this room this morning who has not come to that place in their lives where they are willing to turn from their sin, God, where they're willing to trust in what you did on the cross and how you rose again, and that, Lord, if they have never followed you as the king of their lives, laying everything else down, God, I pray that that would happen today. And Lord, perhaps there are those of us who are Christians in this room who have recognized We are mirrors who reflect your love dimly. And we're not reflecting your love well because we're filled with some sort of anger or bitterness in our hearts. God, I pray now today would be the day that we would lay that at your feet. Father, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that you love us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, you're going to stand and sing a song. And as you do that, I encourage you to reflect and to think about how perhaps God has spoken to you this morning. And I just want you to know that I'll be here at the front after the service and would be honored to have the opportunity to to talk with you, to get to know you, to pray with you, and to minister to you however God may lead us in that time. Please go ahead and stand and prepare to sing.